Um, let's take our Bibles and turn this morning to, uh, let's go to Luke chapter 16. I think we'll start. And I'm going to shed this on. Y'all are warm today? Anybody else warm? Just standing warm over there. Okay, good. Then let's turn the air down. <laughs> I know when I'm warm, I can always ask Miss Penny if she's warm. We can always turn the air down that way. How many of you are cold? How many of you are just right? Okay. All right. Luke chapter number 16, and let's begin in verse number 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off. Lazarus in his bosom, and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Beside all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, my uh, father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into the place of torment. And Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. We've read here a story that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke and told His disciples of during the time that He was on this earth. It's interesting because there are some stories that Christ told that were parables. They were stories or illustrations that were used to lay alongside of a truth to help with understanding and remembrance of that truth. This particular story that the Lord Jesus Christ relates is not a parable, but is an actual story. There's some truth to it. For several reasons, he begins to name specific characters by name. Even though he refers to the rich man as a certain rich man, he refers to Lazarus by name. So we believe this to be a true story. It's a story of something that happened. And from what we understand, it happened prior to the time that the Lord Jesus Christ told this story. If the truth of that is certain, and we believe it to be so, then the truth is that today as we sit here in a nice air-conditioned or heated building with padded pews, there is a man that during his lifetime was rich and increased with goods and took his ease and enjoyed life that is burning in hell today. And not only is he there today, but he's been there over 2,000 years. And the saddest of the whole thing is this, there will be no end of it. 
We can be here 2,000 years from today and He'll still be there. We could be here 10,000 years from today and he, could still be, he will still be there. The truth, the truth that God's Word was written to make plain to us was that every single one of us that are sitting here today find ourselves owing the same debt that this rich man owed. And that is the debt to pay for his sins. The only way that God, as a just God, can have payment for that sin is by death in a place called hell and the torments that it has to offer. There are certain things about this story we know to be very, very vividly true. One of them is that whatever form the rich man has, he has some form of body. This is not just a spiritual torment, but a physical one. Because he asks for Lazarus to take and dip his finger in water and touch it to his tongue. Because he's tormented in the flame, the physical aspect of the tongue of the rich man. That even a drop of water would be enough to to take for just momentary the, the torment of that flame that he was in away. The reality of the flame the fact that it is hot, the fact that it was bringing torment to him. So much so that this man who, from what we know of the story, more than likely at least ignored God with his life, there may be some possibility that he had even heard and had chosen willingly to deny God in his life. Gets to a place where he says, I've got five brothers, don't let them come here. I remember years ago as a youth pastor and dealing with young people and teenagers, and I worked with a lot of inner city kids in Jacksonville, Florida, a number, hundreds, several hundreds of inner city kids for a number of years. One of the great, great thrills of my life was being able to spend time. And to watch some of these kids that came from horrible backgrounds and horrible lives, and, and they'd, they'd, had such, they'd gone down such a road of sin in their life, and to watch as God would oftentimes get a hold of their hearts and they would get saved and they would trust Him as their Savior. And God would do that, that wonderful, miraculous, transforming work. And that young person who, were, uh, who was in such a horrible place, maybe their family or uh, the situation at home that they were, found themselves in, many of them had been abused in, in numerous ways. And had a life where numbers of them, I'm thinking of one young lady, 14 years old, used to come to our Bible club on Saturday nights and had marks on her wrist where numerous times she had tried to commit suicide. She got saved and we watched her. She got in Bible college and began to serve the Lord, married a godly husband, and to this day her and her husband are serving the Lord. Only God can do a work like that. I remember looking at these young people and sharing the gospel and the truth of God's Word with them and so many of them that said, I, I want that. I want that. And then I, I got out of uh, college and I went to go work at a church that had a Christian school and the, the parents there had raised their children in Christian homes and these kids were loved and had been told of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I came there as the youth pastor thinking, wow, if we saw God do such a work in the hearts of these kids in Jacksonville, Florida, I can't wait to get to the church 
and see what God's going to do through the hearts of young people who have been given so much spiritually. I got there, and I'll be real frank with you. I was heartbroken. For years I was heartbroken as a youth pastor. Because I watched as young people that had been raised in Christian homes and raised the right way and had been kept from things that uh, would cause them to wreck and ruin their lives and fall into sin. I watched as many of them said, I want what these kids have. Pointing to the folks that I used to work with in Jacksonville, Florida, whose lives were wrecked and ruined. I, I want to go that way. I want to have my freedom. I don't want to have the rules. I don't want to have mom and dad tell me what to do. And my heart broke because, you see, I had been on both sides of that. I had watched one group of young people who had gone down the road of rebelliousness against God and rejection of God and their families did not have anything to do with the Lord. I had watched as they had gone down that road of sin, got to the end of it and realized this is not where the answer is. And when God's Word came along and the truth of salvation came along, they looked at it and they said, I'm going to grab a hold of it because that is the answer. And then I watched as other young people said, I've been told that that is the answer, but I don't want that. I did not understand it as a youth pastor. People that had been given so much in life, who had Christian moms and dads, who had the right rules and right standards in the home, who put them in Christian schools and kept them in a church and had them involved in the youth program. They would walk away from God when they graduated high school and say, I want no part of it. My heart rent in two. Oftentimes, I wept many times over these young people. Some of them God began to get a hold of years later, and I thank the Lord for that. But I thought of that as I was thinking of this particular passage. Why is it that so many times... We have laid out before us the answer that we need. The answer that we long for. The peace that we seek. The joy. The happiness. And we turn from it. We say, no, I want the, I want the thrills that this world can offer me. I, I want to live in such a way that you know I, I'm not different than everybody else. And, and I can just kind of get along. I can have my friends. And I can live this way. Uh, the carnal way. The sinful way. And I can enjoy the party time and the fun time. And so much so that I've actually heard young people that I've talked to over the years that were that way. And they said, we just want to live this way. And some of my friends, they've already died and they're already down there in hell. And so I'm just going to go with them and we're going to have a party down there. You ever heard that? Tell that to the rich man. There's no party in hell. In fact, there's indication from the Word of God that we won't even know. There won't even be a knowledge of one another in hell. They won't be able to see others that are down there. They won't be able to acknowledge the fact that there's others down there with them. Not to mention the amount of torment that they're in every moment of every day. I have occasionally touched things and burned myself. Any of you ever done that? Uh, I was doing some welding at the lighting company a number of years ago, and I had my big heavy gloves on, and I'd gone in the office and let it cool for a little bit and had come back out. I thought, well, it's been five or ten minutes. I'm going to pick that up and go ahead and move it, and I didn't put my gloves back on. I reached over and grabbed it and singed my finger and got a blister on it. 
Man, that thing not only hurt when I did it, but you know what it's like to get that burn. For days and weeks afterwards, I mean, just the slightest little touch, the, the rawness of the nerves on the end of it. And I've thought often when I've been burnt like that, I've thought, why would anybody willingly, willingly choose something like that? Take your Bibles for just a moment, if you will. Turn with me to the book of John, chapter number 3. John, chapter number 3. You say, boy, that must be a mean God you serve. No, He's a just God. He's a God that is holy and cannot tolerate sin. But not a mean God at all. In fact, John tells us quite the contrary, doesn't it? In John chapter 3, look with me if you will, verse number 16. For God so what? Judged the world. Is that what it says? For God so was angry at the world. Is that what it says? Now, does God judge the world? Absolutely He does. Is God angry at the sin of the world? Absolutely He is. But this book tells me there's another attribute of God that oftentimes we overlook. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You say, why is that important? Well, let's look in verse number 17. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world. That's, you know, that's something that most people don't realize. When they hear the story of, of hell and the reality of hell, they think, boy, God must be some vicious, vindictive God up there that just delights in sending men to hell. No, no, God is broken hearted. When men go to hell. In fact, God has done everything He could. And I've heard people say this before. I don't believe a loving God would send anybody to hell. And I, for years, I used to try to argue with them about that. And then finally it dawned on me one day, they're right. A loving God would not send anybody to hell. A loving God would do everything He could in His power to keep men from hell. He would do so much that even if it meant sending His only Son to die in their place and suffer the penalty of their sin for them, He was willing to do it. Let me tell you something. That's a loving God. I have a 14-year-old son. I'll be real frank with you. I wouldn't let him die for anybody. But God did. God sent not His Son, verse 17, into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be what? Saved. Notice what verse 18 says, He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Can I help you with something today? We don't have to do anything to get lost. We don't have to do anything to go to hell. In fact, if we live our lives and do nothing, that's exactly where we're going. God doesn't send us there. That's just where our sinful nature is taking us. God looked down one day and said, "Look, let's, let's, let's look at it, all right? Let's look in Romans chapter number 5 for a moment. I'll, I'll show you exactly what God's heart was, all right? Let's look at this. Romans chapter 5. Let's, let's just put God to the test for a minute, okay? Let's see where His heart is on the matter. Can we do that? Look in John, Romans chapter number 5 for a minute. And let's look down to verse number 8. Everybody got it? I want you to see this. Because this is what God said about it. But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, 
Christ died for us. That's a pretty amazing amount of love. For him to look down and say, there's a bunch of sinners down there. They are plunging headlong toward hell and they don't even know it. I'm not only going to go down and tell them about it. I'm going to pay the price so they don't have to. And I'm going to give it to them freely. Look with me, if you will, just one chapter over Romans chapter number 6 and verse number 23. For the wages of sin is death. That's what sin costs. The wages of sin is death. But notice this, it doesn't end there. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life. Why? Why would anybody, knowing the love of God, knowing what He had done for them, why would they turn from that and say, no, you know what, I'd rather be the rich man. And if that choice continues in our lives, if we leave this building today and say, that is my choice and I'm going to live with it, then 2,000 years from today, somebody may stand up and say, that person heard the gospel. They heard of God's love and they chose to go to this place called hell. And here, 2,000 years later, they're still there. My dad, years ago, made a statement, and he was trying to make a point with it, and so I want you to keep that in mind. But he made this statement. He said, I don't know of one, but there might be some sin that is so enjoyable that it might be worth a moment of payment in hell. The problem is the payment in hell is not momentary. It's eternal. He said, I don't even know of one that would even be worth it. But maybe somebody out there would know of one. It might be worth the, 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 the sin and to, 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 to deny God. To go for just a moment. The truth is, hell is so bad, I don't know of any that would be even worth a moment in hell. much less an eternity. So God gives it to us. God came to this earth 2,000 years ago. That's why we celebrate Christmas. The Lord Jesus Christ was born. He was born sinless, unlike you and I. We have a sinful nature. He was born without one. He lived His entire life until He was crucified on the cross without sin. The only man in history that ever has He came and lived a sinless life and was the only one qualified to be substitutionary death for us. The sacrifice that was needed to pay for our sin. If it had not been for Him, you and I would be the ones paying that death penalty in hell. But He came and paid it for us. And then, He doesn't charge us for it. He doesn't, he doesn't say, well, this, this gift that is so priceless. I mean, if you think about it, most men today that are living today, if God came and said, okay, it's going to cost you $100,000 to escape hell, 
and to gain heaven for eternity. There would be people that would work themselves to death throughout their lifetime trying to come up with $100,000 so at the end of their life they could escape hell. But if God gives it to them freely, they don't want it. It's just the way men are. Can I tell you this? It's a priceless gift and it doesn't cost us a thing. Look with me, if you will, in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number 2. Ephesians chapter number 2, let's begin in verse number 4. But God, who is rich in mercy... I'm going to pause right there for a moment. God who is rich in mercy. Because of God's justice, there has to be a demanded payment for sin. If God, if God were to not require a demanded payment for sin, He would cease to be a just God. And if He ceased to be a just God, then you and I would cease to exist because He's the only reason we're even here. God who is rich in mercy. You ever thought of the word mercy? What is mercy? I uh, <laughs> I was one of those hyperactive kids growing up. I've shared this with y'all before. I I remember one summer. Uh, I remember one summer. It seemed like to me. Now it may not have happened this way, but you know how things were much bigger when you were little. It seemed like to me that every single day of that summer, I got a whipping from mom or dad. I, I'm not kidding. I I I remember it that way. It was almost like I was going to get up in the morning, go to the front door and say, Mom, go ahead and whip me now so I can get it out of the way, and then I can go enjoy the day. Because I knew by the end of the day, somewhere along the line, I was going to get a whipping for something. And I almost felt that way as a kid in, in, some, in some aspects. But, you know, there were a handful of times, not many, but there were a handful of times where I did something wrong and I knew it was wrong. It was something I had gotten in trouble for before. And mom caught me, or dad caught me, and we had our little talk like we usually did. And every once in a while, my mom or dad would say, Now, I'm not going to give you a whipping for this. Can I say that was mercy? You and I, we were sinners. We are sinners. We have a penalty to pay. And the truth is, we can't pay it. The only way to pay it is for us to die and go to hell. That's the only way we could ever pay it. And even then, it would not ever be paid for, which is why it would have to be an eternity of it. But God, Ephesians 2 and verse 4, But God, who is rich in what? He's rich in mercy. Does that mean that even though we deserve it, God might be able to show mercy to us? That's what that means. Well, if that's the case, I want to find out how in the world do I get His mercy? I want to know. I don't want to die and go to hell. I don't want to have to pay for my own sin. My dad was doing a funeral one day, and a man came up and to the casket, and he made a comment about the fellow laying there, and he said, well, he's gone to his just reward. Can I tell you this? I'm not going to my just reward. 
when I die, I'm not going to get what I deserve. I'm going to have God's mercy. Why? Not because of anything I've done, but because of what He shows me and whether or not I put my faith and trust in it or not. Look what it says here. But God who is rich in mercy for the great love wherewith He loved us. That doesn't sound to me like some mean God sitting up in heaven trying to make my life miserable. That sounds to me like there's a God in heaven that came to give me life and to give it to me more abundantly. I get so tired of people who name the name of Christ and say, yes, I'm a Christian, walking around looking like their life is the most miserable life in all the world. I'm not saying that there's not times and valleys we go through. We're all in this world together. We all go through times of problems. But I'm going to tell you something right now. I would not trade my Christian life for anything in this world. There's such joy and peace. There's so much wonderful times with the Lord. So many times that my heart is full and overflowing. The joy that it it creates inside of us. There's not a joy this world has to offer to me that is any greater than the joy of the salvation that God has given to me. Not even any to be compared. In fact, the Apostle Paul understood this, didn't he? He he, he fully understood it to the point where he said, you know, I've had all these things. I've had the education, and I've had the uh, affluence, and I've had the the, the influence, and I've had the popularity. He said, I count it all but dung. That's fertilizer for those of you that didn't grow up on a farm. He said, I count it all but dung that I may know Him. That I may know Him in the power of His resurrection. That to Paul was the joy. Paul looked forward. He said, all these things that I, I had from the world side would look at me and say I was successful. He said, if I lost all of that, I don't care. Because I've gained Christ. And if I had it to do all over again, I'd do the exact same thing. Because gaining Christ is so much more than what this world has to offer. Look with me in verse number 4. But God, who is rich in mercy for His great will wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Well, wait a minute. We've got another word here. Grace? Well, Brother Greg, didn't you just say mercy? We can have God's mercy? Yes, that's not getting what I deserve. You know what grace is? Oh, I love this. Grace is me getting something that I did not deserve. Not only did God allow me to escape the penalty of my sin, but God gives me a home in heaven for all of eternity to live with Him. Not in a place of torment, but in a place of absolute joy. Not not in a place of payment for my sin, but a place of worshiping Him for paying my sin for me. God gives me the privilege to be in heaven for all of eternity. Can I tell you, that's just the tip of the iceberg. God also gives me the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me that brings great light and great joy to my life. He helps me along the way. He shows me how to live. And I don't have to scratch my head and wonder, is this right or is this wrong? The Holy Spirit helps show me those things. He gives me His Word. What an amazing thing. I get to read not just somebody who sat down and wrote about God. I get to read what God wrote for me. That's an amazing thing. God gives great peace. God gives great joy. There is so much on this side of heaven 
that God gives to us by His grace, that I can only imagine what the other side of heaven is going to be like. You say, Brother Greg, does that mean you don't ever have anything go wrong in your life? Oh, no, I didn't say that. I do have teenage kids, okay? There are times there's heartache. But you know, there's something now that when I go through that time of heartache I didn't have before, and that is the presence of the Holy Spirit of God with me. So real, I can almost reach out and you can almost feel it. You can certainly sense the peace and the presence of it. Why would somebody reject that? Why would anybody in their right mind say, you know what, no, I... I'm content living the way I am. I I like I like living my life. I don't I don't need God or the things of God. I don't need that stuff. We may not for this life. But what about the life to come? If you think about this life, let's say you live to be eighty years old. Let's say you live to be ninety. Let's go ahead and say, you know what? We'll give you to a hundred. I have a friend of mine down in Florida. His name's Wayne Corfman. I just saw him a couple weeks ago. He's ninety. He turned ninety-seven this year. He's praying that he'll reach a hundred. And the reason he said is, he said, "I've never heard of anybody dying after a hundred. Let's give you to a hundred for a minute. Let's say you live to be a hundred years old, and then let's take." Let's just take the 2,000 plus years that the rich man has been in hell. Which one has been longer? 20 times longer. Now we take that same amount of time and we say, okay, but there is no end to the rich man's plight. It goes on for eternity. It means it has no end to it. Was it really so important to us to say, you know, I'd really rather enjoy the pleasures of a sin in my life for a hundred years and miss out on the joy of eternity? Why would that make sense? He says in verse number 6, And hath raised us up together and made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through, Jesus, through Christ Jesus. Does that sound like a vengeful God? No, that sounds like a God who loved me, who looked down and said, There's a demanded payment for His sin, but oh, I love Him. I want Him to be with me. I want to fill his life with joy. I want to fill his eternity with joy. I'm going to make a way. Verse number 8. For by grace, that's getting something we don't deserve. If you say, well, I, I don't deserve to be saved, you're exactly where you need to be. None of us do. If you deserve to be saved, then you have no need of a Savior. We had to get to the place where we said, I don't deserve it. Or God could not give His grace to us. 
For by grace, the Bible says here, verse number 8, are ye saved. How do I get God's grace? Notice this. Through faith. <laughs> That's it. It can't be that easy, Pastor. Are you saying all I've got to do is put my faith in Him? I've got to trust Him? All I've got to do is believe what He told me and trust that that's true? That's all I've got to do? Yep, that's it. Pretty simple. Well, I mean, it can't be that easy. I've got to live a good life, surely. Well, God wants us to live a good life, but it's not what we have to do to get saved. gives salvation to us freely. He gives forgiveness of our sins to us freely. Why? Because He's rich in mercy. And because of the exceeding richness of His grace. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Look with me, verse number 9. Not of works, lest any man should boast. You don't get saved... By works. You don't get saved by joining a church. You don't get saved by being baptized. You don't get saved by living a good life. You get saved by realizing, I'm a dirty, rotten, no good sinner that deserves hell, and I have nothing in myself that I can use to pay the price for that sin other than going there myself. And because of that, I have no hope wait a minute, oh, I just read in Scripture, but God loved me. And God looked down at a man who had no hope and said, I'll take care of it. And I'll give it to him freely. All I need him to do is believe me and trust me for that. That's it? Yep, that's it. It's that simple. Why? Why? Knowing what the alternative is, would any man reject that? Why would any man say, I'm not going to get saved. I'm not going to trust Christ as my Savior. I'm not going to believe that. That all sounds good, Brother Greg, but you know my life's fine. I'm living the way I want to live. You are. For now. But there's going to come a day where you don't get the choice. Right now we have the choice. We get to choose. In the story of the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man was told, there's, there's, there's a gulf fixed between you. We can't, nobody from where you're at can come to where we are. Nobody from where we are can come to where you're at. You're stuck there. We're stuck here. This is, this is the way God's made it. You know what the rich man's reply was? His reply was, send Lazarus back. Make him raise from the dead. And let him go talk to my brothers. Because I sure don't want them to be here. We ought to be able to trust God at what He says. But here's a man in hell that says, my brothers aren't going to trust God. But if one came back from the dead and they saw that miracle of somebody coming back from the dead, they would believe in that. You know what Abraham told him? 
See, even though one raised from the dead, if they won't believe the Bible, what it says, they won't believe even though one raised from the dead. Was Abraham lying about that when he said that? No, not a bit. Because the truth is, we sit here 2,000 years later and one has raised from the dead, hasn't he? The Lord Jesus Christ. And not only is it recorded in Scripture, but it is recorded by secular historians of the day who were eyewitness to his resurrection or his resurrected body. People who wrote accounts of seeing him personally and handling him physically. They saw his resurrected body. And yet we have God's Word. And we live in a day where people say, I'm rejecting God's Word. And I don't care, even though there has been one that has been raised from the dead, I still refuse to accept it. Why would we refuse? God stands there with arms wide open waiting. He doesn't force His love on us. He doesn't force His mercy and His grace on us. He offers it. And we have to say, yes, Lord. I believe what You've told me in Scripture, and that's what I'm putting my faith in. I'll tell you right now that if I die right now, I am absolutely 1,000% plus certain that I will spend an eternity in heaven. And if you say, well, is that because you've lived a good life? No, because I know my heart and I know the life I've lived. I, I couldn't trust that to save my life. And some of you say, well, I couldn't trust it either. Boy, I've had a rough life. I've had a wicked life. God would never let me into heaven. He said, then how do you know? Because of what Christ has done for me. And I am trusting Him absolutely to be telling me the truth. When he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I, I just don't know anything other than to, 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 to trust him when he says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I, I don't know what else to do than to believe Scripture. And it's to the place where I've got such absolute faith and trust that he's going to take me to heaven, that if he's not who he says he is, and if He has not done what the Bible says He has done, then I'm lost. Because He is all that I am depending upon. He's all that I have put my faith in and my trust in. We sang that song earlier, I love to tell the story. I love to tell the story. And one of the verses says, What seems each time I tell it more wonderfully sweet. And another verse says, and even those who know it best are thrilled, they're overjoyed to hear it like the rest. If you're here today and you say, I've never had a moment in my life where I have definitively, decidedly put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ where I'm trusting Him to save me. Not my works, not my church membership, not my baptism, but I am trusting Him and Him alone. If you have never done that today, can I tell you, with all the kindness and love I have in my heart, you are headlong heading toward a place called hell. And I don't want to see that. And God does not want to see that. 
We want with all of our being to see you come to a place where you say, I'm going to trust Him. I want that forgiveness for my sin. I want that mercy to be shown. I want that grace to be given to me. I want that. So I'm going to trust Him for it. You can do that today. You can make that decision right here, right now. Lord, I've trusted the things I've done for so long. I'm just trusting You and You alone. What You've done on Calvary for me. Your death, Your burial, Your resurrection as payment for my sin. I'm depending upon that. I'm putting my faith and my trust in You for my salvation. You can get that matter settled today. And if you've never done that, I don't care if you've been in church 50 years, if a decision like that has never been made, then you're lost. I don't care if you've stepped in church for the very first time today. If you've never made that decision, you're lost. And you will end up where the rich man is. In a literal, real place called hell. I don't want that. It tears my heart up to think of anyone choosing that. God does not want that. It breaks His heart every time a man rejects Him and chooses hell instead. God takes no joy in men going to hell. He has great joy when people come and trust Him as their Savior. Say, I want a home in heaven. I want forgiveness of my sin. I want Your mercy and Your grace. Have you made that decision today? Have you made it? And if you have, we rejoice in it today. Maybe we lose some of the joy along the journey of the Christian life. Maybe today is just a reminder to rejoice in what God has done for us. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, can I urge you, you can make that choice today. If you'd like to, you can find me or one of these men around here of the church, one of these ladies around the church if you're a lady. They'll be glad to pray with you and help you to get to this place where you can put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But you can do that today. You can make that decision today. Don't wait. Don't linger. Don't linger. We woke up this morning expecting to finish the day out and lay our heads on our bed pillows tonight. The truth is we don't have a guarantee of another moment. So many people wake up, get dressed with their whole day before them, and never make it back home that night before they're off in eternity. And by then it's too late. Make the choice now while you have the ability to choose. Don't wait until the choice is gone. Are you saved today? Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed, please, and eyes closed. And I don't want anybody to to feel embarrassed. I rarely do something like this in a service, and I'm going to ask if you would, folks, be be sensitive to this, and and please keep your eyes closed for a purpose of privacy for a moment. I will not embarrass you. I will not call you out. I'm not going to come down the aisle and grab you out of the pew. But just so I'll know, and so I can be praying a little bit better. How many of you today would say,